This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of true Bible-believing truth proclaimers and defenders. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you, as always, for sharing the podcast, because we are censored on social media, especially on Facebook, Shadow Band, but we're thankful to get a few uh, people liking the page. I mean, we've got like 26,000 people or something like that that like that Facebook page, and we get like five or ten people that... Uh, like or see the podcast every day. So it's getting out other ways, and it is because of you, so thank you. By the way, check out our 200 resources that you can trust on our website, standupforthetruth.com, upper left-hand corner, one word, resources. And I want to ask you some questions before I introduce today's guest today. Um, if you don't have access to your money, what can you do? What can you do now to avoid being in the situation? If you lose the capacity to communicate electronically with each other, friends, family, do you have a backup plan? How about if you're not allowed to practice your religion openly and freely? Do you know how to go underground? Are you preparing in any way? Is your pastor talking about that? If you had to flee from your home, where would you go? If the government forces you to have medical treatments you don't want, what are your options? If your doctor is not allowed to practice medicine because he or she refuses to administer harmful governmentally coerced treatments, how would you get medical care? If your children are being taught politically and sexually offensive material in the government-run schools, what are you doing? If your children are not allowed an education due to their religious or political beliefs or they're discriminated against, how do you prepare them and educate them. Today's guest, we're so thankful to have Dr. James Garlow on with us. He's the founder and CEO of WellVersed. It is a ministry to members of Congress, ambassador at, ambassadors at the United Nations in New York City, and other elected officials bringing biblical principles of governance to government leaders. Now, he served on President Trump's faith advisory team for four years, he has met in small delegations with 10 presidents and prime ministers from around the world. He's an author, commentator, historian. As me, a cultural observer, that's what, another thing I love about him, and he has served most of his life as a pastor. His one-minute commentary, The Garlow Perspective, is heard daily on nearly 800 radio outlets nationwide. You've probably heard of it in your neck of the woods, as we have listeners from across the country. And he's got a book that came out about five or six years ago we really love. It's called Well-Versed, Biblical Answers to Today's Tough Issues. Jim Garlow, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. It's an honor to be on with you, my friend. Hey, thank you, sir. We really appreciate you and your background, and we are going to talk about the um, uh, Pulpit Initiative and the Johnson Amendment, Pulpit Freedom Sunday, a little later on. But I'd love to just get a little bit of your background. You were a pastor in San Diego for quite a few years. <laughs> and just share with us for our listeners that might not know a little bit about your background, please. Well, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, a corn and wheat farm, and uh, then I went to, I, I grew up in a small little uh, tiny school, a one-room grade school, nobody's heard of those anymore, and a little country church, as a matter of fact. Hmm. That little country church was very vivacious and produced 39 pastors and pastor's wives. I'm number 36 of that group, <laughs> and uh, I went on to a bunch of degrees. I did three master's degree and a Ph.D., uh, the last of uh, the few degrees were at Asbury Seminary and then at Princeton Theological Seminary in Princeton, New Jersey. And my doctor's in church history and historical theology in uh, uh, Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Uh, along the way, I uh, pastored, pastored some Baptist churches as a youth pastor. I was ordained Wesleyan, Wesleyan Methodist, mm -hmm. in terms of background, and uh, worked in the Church of the Nazarene for many years as a pastor. Along the way, pastored in... Uh, in Oklahoma City, pastored in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, planted a church in Dallas-Fort Worth, and then uh, 25 years ago moved to San Diego, California. I was the pastor of Skyline Church. But at age nine, I experienced a conversion to Christ, but also age nine, August the 13th of my ninth year, the best way I know to describe, describe it is a governmental anointing came upon me. I didn't know that phrase back then, of course, <laughs> but I simply uh, became involved governmentally and politically as a as a child, 
and virtually every day since August the 13th of my ninth year, I, I watch the news every day for governmental aspects. Hmm. And so I've been involved uh, ever since. I married to Carol for 42 years. She passed away of cancer. I went through a deep valley of grief, and then I remarried Rosemary, who's been to Israel 71 times, Rosemary Schindler. Uh, my first wife and I adopted four children, and then through marriage, I became the stepfather to four more children, and we have uh, 11 grandchildren. The 11th is yet to be born, so we've not seen him or her. <laughs> and so we uh, we are very, very blessed as, as a husband and wife, as a family. Mm, thank you. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your background. We uh, appreciate the work that you're doing now, and it's interesting to see how influential men and women of God got to be where they are today and the things that influenced them, their upbringing, their church, their where they grew up. But um, we're going to get to a very important conference, uh, Jim, fu- the Future Conference, Well-Versed Future Conference in Arlington, Virginia, July 20 and 21. Uh, Michelle Bachman, Matt Staver, Gary Koss, so many great speakers. And we'll get to that in a minute, but I want to ask you, first of all, what we're dealing with right now and what we have been in the last couple years in America. And I know you're, you guys are going to talk about this at the conference, but you sent out an email recently, and it says America is being decimated. And you had a recent interview with Leo Homan, which uh, thankfully um, we are not under submission to the World Health Organization in national emergencies, but uh, the Biden administration wanted us to go down that road. What did you mean, and can, can you sum that up for us when you say America is being decimated? Well, morally, for one thing, if we just realize how far we've gone in just the last few years, last five to six years, it's astounding, uh, the denigration of values, bona fide values, and the mockery of anything with good values. Uh, and then the issue of, of, in terms of even national defense, we're being laughed at internationally. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether one can say the United States is the strongest superpower or not. I assume that question, that statement is no longer true. And then if we go to economics, uh, decimated once again with the national debt, absolutely out of control. That's a spiritual issue, by the way, a theological, biblical issue. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal from future generations. That's a loose paraphrase, obviously. And there's no arena in which our nation is better, stronger than it was five to ten years ago. In fact, the decline is very rapid. What you referred to as Leo Holman, and the World Health Organization, you probably your listeners probably know this because you informed them, but we came perilously close to losing our sovereignty. Yes, in terms of pandemic sovereignty, in which uh, who out of Ge- Geneva, Switzerland, and I, I have a ministry in the United Nations. I've been to Geneva. I've been to the United Nations. I'm certainly uh, I certainly try to carry the truth of the gospel into places like that. I care deeply about those places. I love those places, uh, but the fact is, this is not a good thing to have our sovereignty released globally. No. The spirit of Antichrist, quite frankly, yes. uh, globalism is never about biblical truth. And we face, quite frankly, a vote most people don't know about last December at the United Nations in New York City. It, it actually wasn't technically a vote. It was a consensus in which a portion of our sovereignty was actually lost at that point. Mm. So these are extremely serious things. If anybody cares about America as a nation, or they care about any kind of values, biblical values at all, they should be deeply concerned of the condition we are in. Yes. Um, Dr. Jim Garlow, that didn't happen because uh, the amendments were not accepted at that meeting in Geneva. Um, And for those who might say, you guys are just fear-mongering because nothing came about, nothing happened, I'm looking at that response and thinking, wait a minute, they came close. The Biden administration had, what was it, 13 amendments? So how do you respond to those who, and those are the ones that just don't want to engage. They, Christians don't want to be involved in, quote, politics, right? How do you respond to that when they think, well, it didn't happen. You guys were worrying for nothing. Well, they speak tragically in ignorance, and it is very, very difficult to communicate with someone who's passionate about being ignorant. But we keep trying, and we keep praying. There was massive prayer movements, by the way, mm-hmm. on that. Massive prayer movements organized across America by many different organizations. There was massive letter writing, email writing to members of Congress to get them activated as much as as possible. There was enormous pushback and effort that took place. And, and then God also uses 
he can use people who are not even part of him. And by that, I meant the number of nations rose up, praise God, some of whom would not identify with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, necessarily, and yet they were used by God to do a major pushback on this. That is not unusual these days in any kind of these globalistic movements. God is using a number of countries to be blockages uh, to some plans of the enemy. And so in, in this case, again, other nations rose up, and that's why it also took place as well as all the effort that we know of here in the United States and perhaps in other countries as well. Well, you and many other organizations were sending out uh, information leading up to that meeting in Geneva from May 22 to 28. And what people may not realize is those uh, amendments and the arrangements, if adopted, would have denied the American people accountability inherent in their representative form of government. In other words, they would have usurped the people's power. We put our representatives in office but they were going to just come over that authority, and we would have then been, I mean, the U, uh, the WHO would have said, all right, next national or international health emergency, we can call the shots uh, uh, for what happens in America. It, it would have been unheard of, but it could have happened, couldn't it have? Well, what we are seeing, this is a play out of COVID, but we're seeing in every every intelligent person sees it. I mean, not only conservatives are seeing this, not only Bible believers are seeing this, but now we actually have people who are liberal and even some leftists are recognizing how far it has gone. But we have a rise globally of totalitarian authoritarianism. Just to give examples, so I'm not just blowing smoke here, mm-hmm. Trudeau turned Canada into Cuba in one day when he, fro- he suspended the Constitution and froze all the bank accounts Mm -hmm. of anybody, if they even gave a sandwich to a totally legal, proper protest, the Canadian truckers, he froze their bank accounts, and he cut them off from any finances to starve them out. Uh, And then if you you go to, uh, you go province by province, you take go to Alberta, for example, where the premier there, uh, Jason Kenney, has locked up pastors, seven pastors have been locked up uh, in Canada. One, Arthur Pulowski, has been brutally treated. Mm-hmm. I mean, treated like you would think you would hear from communist China. Yes. I have interviewed uh, several times. And you can go country by country. You look at Australia. Look at New Zealand. You go country by country and see what happened. There's enormous protest rising up from the human spirit that longs for freedom. This is a global phenomenon. It's over the entire universe that's happening right now. In terms of the Earth, what's happening right now is country by country. The 193 nations in the world, there is not hardly a bastion of freedom left. If the U.S. goes down, there is not a place to free. This is happening in the battle to try to get Yair Bolsonaro out of Brazil, Mm. the overthrow in Bolivia. They've locked Janine Añez, former president, up and just sentenced her a few days ago to 10 years in prison. This is happening nation by nation of what is happening in this rise of totalitarian authoritarianism, and every person ought to be deeply concerned with that. Uh, Jim Garlow, we've heard years ago, maybe decades ago, um, maybe our grandparents or great-grandparents would often hear things like this in other countries happening and say, that could never happen in America. And in those contexts, much of the time they were referring to socialism in America at that, like 50 years ago. But now we can no longer be naive or ignorant to these things that are happening. And the threat, the true threat that is not only out there, not militarily, but it, there's also an internal threat on our freedom. And how much of this, what we're seeing now, where we are not engaged in politics, we are the United States of entertainment, we are busy, we are just you know too distracted with other things to get involved in, quote, politics. Um, how much of this do you think... Uh, falls on the pulpit in America and uh, pastors and preachers throughout the decades? Well, let me give you the stats. Ninety percent of pastors, according to George Barnum, agree that the Bible speaks to the social, cultural, and political issues of the day. But in that same survey, when asked, will you preach what the Bible says about these issues, ninety percent of them said, no, I will not. There are 364,000 places of worship in the United States. If we subtract out the 20,000 that are either Muslim or Hindu, Buddhist, Sikhs, or maybe Jewish synagogues, etc., that brings it down to 344,000. 
I don't know the research among Catholics, so I'm going to remove Catholics temporarily, and then we drop it 20 more thousand, because the research is about Protestant churches. That's the arena I know. Mm-hmm. So 324,000 Protestant churches we have in America. Wow. How many of those adhere to Scripture, openly affirm Scripture, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches? The answer is 28%. 72% do not. Now we're down to 100,000 churches. Hmm. Of those, how many of those have a distinct biblical worldview? Um, I've been quoting Barna so far. A, a worldview, a biblical worldview, would be eight different key measurement points. This is not just blowing smoke. This is scientific. Mm-hmm. From George Barna, he's one of my closest friends. And I was just with him uh, two days ago, as a matter of fact. And so well, what, well, how many, well, we don't know the exact number of biblical worldview. Probably in the neighborhood of 15,000 churches. There are pastors who say, well, I just preach Jesus. I'm not, quote, political, unquote. Well, we should obviously preach Jesus, but we should preach what Jesus preached. He preached the kingdom of God. What's What's a kingdom have? A king. What is a king over? Everything. Or he's not king. That includes the political arena as well. That includes the governmental. Everybody understands that when the Bible speaks to the personal issues of life, everybody understands the Bible speaks to the family issues of life. Everybody understands the Bible speaks to the congregational life or church life, mm-hmm. but 99% of Christians do not seem to grasp the Bible speaks specifically to the issues of civil governance. Because God established government, it's God who establishes nations. And we, to the extent that a nation will follow biblical principles of governance, to that extent will reduce human pain, suffering, and poverty. Yet surveys across America underscore what you just asked in your question, laymen say across American surveys, we do not speak out on the issues because we do not know what to say. Mm. And when I heard that, that, came, that research came out in 2016, mm. I immediately, something exploded in my heart that moment, and I wrote a book called Well-Versed, and it lays out the biblical foundations of 30 political topics, not just abortion and marriage, but we certainly take those on. Mm-hmm. But those are foundational issues. But the issues of health care, welfare, minimum wage, Social Security, you name the political or governmental topic, and I will contend the Scripture speaks specifically to that, lays the foundation. God has the understanding of how to run government. He's smarter than we are. He thought of government before we were born. He establishes nations. And when we violate his ways, we bring human pain, suffering, and poverty on our nation. Show me a country. And I, I, I'm, We're involved. We've met privately with 93 of the 193 ambassadors at the United Nations, our ministry called Wellverse. We're, we're a small ministry. I'm not going to spin it and make it sound like it's big. It's a very little ministry. But we, and we've held weekly Bible studies for years at the United Nations. Uh, COVID shut us down there, and, and among members of Congress. And the same thing there. But show me a nation that violates God's principles of governance and outlined in the Scriptures. I'll show you a nation that is, has human pain, suffering, and poverty, and they'll, they'll be either food that they, they don't have food or lack of drinking water or a host of other issues where moral calamity comes upon that nation. Mm. And that's so true. And uh, America is headed that way. And that's why when you sent out that email saying America is being decimated, uh, what we're disappointed, and maybe you can speak to this, we've just got a minute and a half left in this segment, uh, Jim. Um, a lot of people are overwhelmed and very disappointed, maybe disheartened by what's happening to the country they love, not idolized. But we love this nation, and there is some sense of, wow, we, we've got freedoms that most of the world ju- has never experienced. Um, what would you say in this, just in this last minute of this segment, just to encourage people who might be feeling overwhelmed by everything that's going on? God is still God. Jesus is still Lord. He is still in charge. And we are committed to walking with him regardless of what might happen, number one. Number two, we're going to stay our, uh, informed and articulate. We stay in the battle. We're not wimps. We're made for this moment. God put us here on earth on purpose. So we get ourselves informed on the issues. We become articulate on the issue. And it's right to push back against evil in any form it manifests. So we do not for one second give up. Are we disappointed? Yes, much of the time. Are we discouraged? No, we refuse to allow the spirit of discouragement to take us. Disappointment, okay. But discouragement, do not allow that to crowd in upon you. We stand up and we fight. Our forefathers of the faith have been in this moment 
10,000 times before us, and they stood and walked their way through this, and so will we. Thank you, Jim. Uh, We've got to take a break. And uh, by the way, you can get the book, Well-Versed, Biblical Answers to Today's Tough Issues. It is available on Amazon from James Garlow. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Pulpit Freedom Sunday, the Johnson Amendment, a little bit more on the global agenda and that fantastic conference coming up called Well-Versed Future Conference, July 2021 in Arlington, Virginia. More with Dr. Jim Garlow when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Dr. Jim Garlow is our guest today, and since we have talked quite a bit in past years about Alliance Defending Freedom's Pulpit Freedom Sunday and, of course, the Johnson Amendment, which uh, had pastors self-censor um, out of fear of government and 501c3. We talk about that a lot. Go look at standupforthetruth.com up in the search bar. Just type in the Johnson Amendment. And if we may have time to talk about that, but I really want to jump into this conference uh, with Jim Garlow. Well-versed future conference, Arlington, Virginia. It takes place Wednesday, July 20 and 21. And uh, one of the questions we asked at the beginning, and you referred to uh, Emperor Trudeau um, taking away people's bank accounts uh, up there, if we don't have access to our money, that's one of the questions. Could they affect the banking? Well, they're affecting the economy and everything else. So, uh, Jim, where do you start? Tell us tell us about the conference, about the guests, and the topics. Well, first of all, they can go to wellversedworld.org and then click on Future Conference, wellversedworld.org. Click on Future Conference. They're going to see all of day one, day two. Day one is literally what to say, how to say it. That is how to respond biblically or scripturally to every political topic. Hmm. And so we have a bunch of speakers, including Wisconsin Congressman uh, Congressman Thomas T- Tiffany, uh, will be speaking as well, among other congressmen that are speaking at that. So the first day is what to say and how to say it on every kind of topic. Homelessness, immigration, you name the topic, hmm. we cover them all from a biblical, distinctly biblical perspective. Day two, again, people go to wellversedtheworld.org and click on Future Conference. They're going to see... 40-some speakers. Day two is how to soar like an albatross. An albatross is a bird in Australia that can stay above the storm and fly without landing for five to six years. And so day two is how to create an alternative universe, uh, a parallel universe, uh, so we can not just survive but thrive as people of value. So we start with the one you just mentioned. That is, what about your money? Assets being frozen. Nick Vujek, he's the man with no arms and no legs. Yep who speaks all over America, one of the best speakers I've ever heard in my life. Uh, he, people don't know he's brilliantly trained in finances. He's very smart hmm. as part of his academic training. But he had all of his bank accounts frozen April of 2019. Wow. Credit cards, debit cards, all frozen. And I think others have made the case to me there's as many as 300 or 350 organizations in America that have faced that. So that's not just a purely academic question. It's happening. Kevin Freeman will talk about how you avoid having your assets frozen. And then we'll talk about how to operate as an underground church. And John Coe, who oversees uh, large ministries in parts of the world I won't mention, uh, he's going to talk about exactly how the underground church functions, along with other pastors, give report from those that are being jailed in Canada. I was with two guys from India two days ago, 27 pastors, as of yesterday, had been jailed over there. So what do we do if that hits this country? And it already is, for that matter. Uh, And then the cancel culture and your safety. If you were to have to flee, where would you go? Hmm. So we brought in several specialists on that topic. And then what if you lose? What if AT&T and Verizon or whatever decides they don't like your politics anymore? They're going to shut down your cell phone. What do you do to communicate? We're bringing in specialists on that. What about if your business is canceled? Your business is shut down because you won't go along with some governmental fiat. What about your health? There's 25,000, they say, frontline doctors all of whom could lose eventually their licenses. What about these doctors? What if one of them is your doctor? Or, or, or what do you do if the food chain is cut off? How do you create what, – what if your health care system cuts you off because you aren't agreeing to take a government-forced course, so-called vaccine? What if you're forced to do something against your – and you don't want to? What about your children's education? Uh, what, what do you do if the school forces your children – or they insist on introducing all kinds of themes you don't want your children to learn. 
What do you do? What do you do if academically your kid is supposed to apply for college, but you find out you can't get that kid in, or if your kid graduates, can't get licensed properly to function in their profession? Hmm. How do you? What do you do? Do we bring in specialists to talk about that? And then finally, the end of the second day, we have uncanceling our national history. By that, I mean uncanceling George Washington, uncanceling <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. You didn't see there's day three on here, but day three is a tour to Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon, uh, George Washington's home, and to Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's home. But first, we do uncanceling of them because when you go there, my wife and I were just at Monticello eight weeks ago. We got there. The opening line of the woke guide was, this is a place of bondage. Oh, this no. This is a place of slavery. And that was the focal point throughout. Wow. Uh, Jefferson, oh, yeah, Jefferson did some good things, but, 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 slavery, 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 slavery. It's like in everything, but, but because that they didn't talk about his attempt, even his own writings that later freed slaves. That was not covered at all. Yeah. So we give people tours of those two locations, or they can take the Museum of the Bible tour. That's on day three. That's Friday, July 22. So 40 some speakers. We also do a tour. It's not even on here yet. We do a tour, a free tour on buses of Washington, D.C. Wow. Then we take people along 2nd Street across from the Supreme Court and we introduce them to five or six ministries located with their headquarters right across the street from the Supreme Court. Wow. So we have a ton of speakers and then those three or three different tours all going. They can go to wellversedworld.org and then they'll, they'll see a future conference. And click on that, and then all this will come up okay. with a lot of information. And if they can't get to D.C., which we sure hope they can, if they can't get there, then they can watch it online. And by the end of today, I'm told from my tech crew, the information on how to sign up online will be on. It's not on right yet, but it will be online. And I just close with this thought. The future belongs to those who prepare for it. I hope uh, the second day is cancellation insurance, like you have car insurance, house insurance health insurance. I hope we never have to use all this insurance we buy. Right. The fact is I would rather own it and not have to use it than, than need it but not have it. Mm. So this is this is information that will help you in the case you need it and you don't want to be caught without this information. Wow. This, so, this, this, your conference, July 20, 21, 22. Yeah, this really sounds phenomenal, uh, Jim. I want to just mention you know the website again, World. Dot org future conference and i just want to mention some of the people that are going to be there i love that rick green is going to be doing the topic uncanceling thomas jefferson a lot of our guests we're seeing in this conference dran reese sam sorbo um gary Kaw, uh who else is who we just saw a bunch of them there kevin mcgarry was on with us last week um it's just amazing michelle bachman uh, she's going to be emceeing walt Heyer, former transgender that's such an important topic Today, how do Christians deal with this? So there's so much. Matt Stavers can be a co-MC. He's he's wonderful in the work he does with Liberty Council. I want to go back to something you said, Jim. The Supreme Court. You're going to be outside there. I notice uh, the media is really not hyping up the fact that there's a fence around it. Why? Because I think uh, they're trying to uh, protect the court and the grounds from the left. And when there was a fence around, you know, the Capitol. And they were trying to protect it from like Christians and conservatives because they've, it's interesting, they've been using this phrase in a derogatory way, Christian nationalism, but they can't really use it because the Supreme Court, because it's the left that's doing all the, the people that would want to support abortion are the ones that are doing a lot of the violence and, and things like that. So it's interesting you said now there's a fence outside the Supreme Court. Just your thoughts on how the media is taking the marching orders of the left and framing things a certain way against us, aren't they? I don't think we should use the word abortion anymore because people are inoculated. And they don't even realize what it is. Mm. Everybody who's for abortion ought to have to watch one. Mm. Uh, the, I use the word dismembering babies with no anesthesia. And so if a person is so violent that they support chopping up a baby, an innocent baby in the womb, if they're so violent, they will do that then they will be violent against the Supreme Court justice. They will be violent against anybody. I have stood before abortuaries, the killing centers, back when I lived in Dallas-Fort Worth, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, leading people in prayer, praying down the spirit of death that is on that place. And, and, and the people who were violent and angry and vile in their language were never the pro-life people. It was the pro-death people. 
Why? Because they are pro-death. They're for dismembering babies in the womb without anesthesia. That is as calloused as it gets. Hmm. And they really won over the media. And, of course, Hollywood is on their side, um, the entertainment industry and the education system. Um, it's interesting that they don't recognize life in a mother's womb. And uh, we better be ready for what the left may unleash should, in fact, Roe v. Wade be under t- overturned. It's going to be a state's issue, but I think, Jim, so many people are ignorant about the the political uh, factor in this that it's going to return to the states. People on the left, some of them don't realize that they're still going to have their choice in whatever state they live, blue states, red states. So um, what are your thoughts on how we've become so dumbed down, and that's on purpose, starting an education system, uh, and people don't even realize how civil government operates and works? Let me answer this way. In a conversation I had with a pastor friend of mine, I used to pastor a large church. He pastored a church considerably larger than mine. He stood taller than me, so he looked down on me both physically and in a condescending way. He looked down on me, on me figuratively one day when he said to me, Jim, I'm not political like you. Uh-huh. I said, Bill, my friend, hmm. my problem with you is not that you're not political. My problem with you is you're not biblical. Let me ask you this. If I was a slave in the 1860s in the South, would I want my slave owner to go to Bill's church or to Jim's church? The answer is my church, Jim's church, because I'll stand against the, the sin of slavery and the sin of racism. I said, but you'll see that is political. Or if I was a baby in the womb of a 14-year-old girl who lived next to Planned Parenthood, would I want that girl to go to Bill's church or Jim's church? The answer is Jim's church, my church. Why? Because I'll fight to save the life of that baby. I was ordained through the Wesleyan denomination. That's the only denomination that was formed for radical abolitionism pre-slavery in 1843. Pre-Civil War, I mean, in 1843. When the Methodist Church said, don't be political in the South, said, don't discuss slavery, because we'll offend the slave owners and they'll leave with their tithe dollars. And a group of Wesleyan guys said, no, we're leaving and formed the Wesleyan denomination. Our first church buildings were in the South, were a day's journey apart, so we could smuggle slaves out of the South into the North in the Underground Railroad, and we were accused of being political at the time. The fact is, we were biblical. Some of our laymen were hung for that stand. In fact, they had an expression in one county in South Carolina, we need this rope to hang another Westland. Wow. And then when women were treated like property, the first Women's Right to Vote conference was held in 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York, in a Wesleyan church. That pastor was accused of being too political, but he wasn't. He wasn't political. He was biblical what I would call people who call themselves followers of Christ, to stop being, quote, anti-political and actually become actually biblical. These are not political issues. They have political ramifications, but they're not fundamentally political issues. They're fundamentally moral, ethical, biblical, scriptural issues. And the problem is the lack of biblical truth, the lack of commitment to God's ways. That's what we face in the nation. Jim Garlow, would it be accurate to say that even before the 1965 Johnson Amendment, we can talk about that, we have a few minutes, but even before that, there were a large majority, I would say, of pastors and church leaders that really didn't talk about issues of culture, like, quote, social issues or political issues, but they all had to do with morality, as you just laid out, whether it be government, whether it be financial you know, theft, socialism, uh, abortion, uh, destroying life in mother's wombs, as you put it, dismembering uh, human life. Do you think even before the Johnson Amendment, there were already pastors not talking about these things? Yeah, the Johnson Amendment passed July the 2nd, 1954. Oh, 54. If you contrast, right. the, yeah, if you contrast the early early centuries, in, uh, the early era in America, David Barton, my good friend, we co-authored a book together. He has the largest personal collection of primary documents before 1812. And he has enormous uh, amount of sermons, printed sermons, transcript sermons. And, and, and the pastors back then preached about anything and everything. They, they, they laid out the biblical underpinnings to every political and governmental topic because you had an educated group of people and they knew you take the Bible into the voting booth with you in your heart. Take Jesus in the voting booth with you. So they, they certainly, in early centuries... But we had a radical change begin to politicize things as early even in the Civil War 
and then you certainly have it by the time World War One, hmm. the rise of, 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 of liberalism, World Council of Churches, National Council of Churches, these types of things. And then they, then they start cherry-picking only a few topics was it allowed to speak about in their mind. So there was a self-censorship that was going on. Now, when the Johnson Amendment passed, uh, Johnson, his chief legislative aide, admitted they didn't have churches in mind. They were going after two businessmen. They were ticked off by it, and one pastor who used their 501c3. It was the two businessmen they wanted to silence, but mm-hmm. the IRS grabbed it. There are 29 categories of 501c, but only one of them, 501c3, is what they blocked and silenced and censored, and that all churches fall in that particular category. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a, it's interesting that uh, we've strayed so far from the black-robed regiment in the early days, right, when they were willing to uh, preach a sermon, gather some congregants, and go out and fight. And here today, we got pastors that just want to live their best life now. Well, we've, we've got to do some more educating. And thank you for your work with Well-Versed, and especially the Future Conference. Uh, Jim, just two more minutes left. Do you want to just mention anything else about that conference? I really want people to at least check out the website and uh, watch online if they can't make it to uh, Arlington. Yes, one more time. Wellversedworld.org. It's in Arlington, Virginia. It's right across the, the Potomac River from Washington, D.C., we're in the Marriott Hotel right there by the Pentagon, and it's three days, July 20, 21, and 22. The first day, once again, is what to say and how to say it, how to respond to a, a biblical, uh, how to respond biblically to political issues. Mm-hmm. And then day two is how to keep from being marginalized. Day three is tours. Wellversedworld.org. Click on Future Conference. You can, and by the end of the day, I'm told by my tech group, you'll be able to sign up for it online if you want to listen online. You can already sign up now if you're able to come. We sure invite you to be there if you possibly can. And, and Dave, it's been a joy being on with you. We love Wisconsin, and uh, I had the privilege of speaking up there. We thank God for the people in Wisconsin. It's a joy being on with you, my brother. Well, praise God for you and the work you're doing. We're, we're trying to uh, you know, be impactful in our culture. What are we supposed to be, Jim? Salt and light, right? I'm sure you've preached on that many a sermon. But thanks for your time and all your work. God bless your efforts, sir. And thank you, my friend. Blessings on you. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jim Garlow. Again, future conference. You got to check it out. And some of these speakers, amazing. You will be edified, equipped. And then there are tours on top of that to go see some things in D.C., uh, I believe the uh, Bible Museum. Um, anyway, others. So we've got to take a break. We've got some articles to talk about when we come back, including one from the CEO of Gab. That's next on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. I just want to go over one thing on uh, the website, wellversed.org. There's four realities, and it's very simple, very basic, four realities, um, because it says few Christians understand that the Bible speaks clearly regarding civil government. So four realities. God is smarter than we are. And he established government and nations, right? The Bible teaches that. Number two, he knows best how civil government is to function, as Dr. Jim Garlow just explained in different ways. Number three, he put these governmental principles into a book, the Bible. Um, We have access to that, of course. And number four, we need to know and understand how it works. And now, what is our role as Christians? You know, I was thinking, uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, what a job that uh, Jim Garlow has been doing, being an ambassador uh, to people in Congress and government at the United Nations, holding Bible studies there in the belly of the beast in New York. Um, he's an ambassador also to ambassadors. <laughs> Of uh, other nations, so what? What a calling! I I could not do that. I don't I don't believe I could do that. So pray for Dr. Jim Garlow and uh, the website again for the future conference. And I'm really looking at that in my schedule. Um, it's wellversedworld.org. All right, on to one of the articles we wanted to talk about, and that's what uh, Harbinger's Daily put out. What my actually article from last week: the progressive propaganda campaign to marginalize and discredit believers in Christ. And it's got a picture of the fence in front of the Supreme Court that went up after news leaked out from the Supreme Court that they could possibly overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, those are 
um, fighting words to most radicals on the left and um, those who would support murder in mother's wombs. Uh, but I started off by saying, if you love your country, value freedom, believe the Bible, you may now be one of the scapegoats as enemies of the one true God have stepped up their game. How? By associating Christians and conservatives and independents even and Republicans in America and especially Trump supporters, right, with the cultural chaos that we're seeing, the division, hate, uh, religion, or anything currently frowned upon in a woke society. So we are the problem. This is how they're framing it. I've seen it in the media. I've heard it. It is unbelievable. We'll get to an example in a minute. But we are the problem. We're the menace. And the media has received its talking points from the Obama-Biden-Pelosi-Schumer Democrats. Now, let me give an example. And again, this is over at Harbinger's Daily, over on The View. Might as well call it the liberal view um, or the liberal feminist view. That might fit. But anyway, the worldly women engaged in a one-sided conversation, which they most always have, demonizing God, guns, of course, and Christian nationalism. This came up a couple times in recent weeks. That ignited a debate. Now, this is too important not to address because we need to understand what's happening. The war of words has recently progressed to alarming levels. Now, what do I mean? This modern method of warfare where they're attacking, accusing. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. Who's the father of lies? The devil. But minions, human beings, are being used in this modern war, in this current, what we're seeing now. So, but it's irresponsible and it's dangerous. Sadly, that's what we've come to expect from many progressives in power, in government, and from, of course, the ladies on The View. So former CNN and ABC News contributor, uh, a View co-host, Tara Setmayer, I've never heard of her before, but that's because I don't watch The View. She opined about what's behind the mass shootings and recent domestic terrorism in the country. Ready? She said this, quote, It's part of the Christian nationalism, the rise in violent Christian nationalism that we have seen, which is also disturbing. They use biblical principles and they pervert them to justify violence. Particularly in Texas, this is a growing movement. It's God, guns, and Trump. Or God, guns, and whatever. It's part of their ethos. Translation. Those violent Bible thumpers, what did she just do? She lumped in uh, guns. Religion, violence, Trump supporters together in what they see as a, this, like a toxic stew, right? To the gleeful approval of the audience, as most always. And few are asking, uh, what's wrong with living by true biblical principles? For those of us who are sincere, Bible-believing Christians trying to uh, live a godly, uh, honoring life to our Savior in this country, they frown upon that. Why? Now, listen to this. I'm not justifying what some, a minority, hypocrites do, posers as Christians, when they use religion for violence or they take Scripture out of context. We do not excuse that whatsoever, so make sure you understand that point. But if you're a Christian, if you support the Second Amendment, our our religious freedoms, uh, if you're a conservative, Republican, Trump voter, lover of freedom, you're now in that camp of what they just said on The View, violent Christian nationalism. Because they associate all of us with what happened on uh, January 6th last year at the Capitol, right? So what did Whoopi Goldberg say? Well, she had to chime in, give her two cents. She declared that a racist white Christians historically used the Bible to justify slavery, mistreating black Americans, and especially down south. She said, quote, "They they used to use the Bible to say, you're not people. God doesn't see you as people, so we don't see you as people. What a lie. Who's the father of lies? I'm not saying Whoopi Goldberg is Satan. I'm saying someone is influencing her heart and her speech, and it obviously is not the Holy Spirit. So those who are ignorant to what Scripture teaches might hear that, what she said, and think, oh, wow, the Bible is racist. And that's all the people in the view audience. They're thinking, these these women, they can do no wrong, right? So they're taking what she says. So the Bible is racist, right? It, no, it's not. God is clearly no respecter of persons. He, no, he shows no favoritism. We need to clarify uh, this point. The book of Galatians, for example, in Galatians chapter 3, 
verse 26, for you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You are all believers in Christ, are children of God. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So as believers, our actual identity is in Christ, no matter where we are from or who our earthly family is. In the book of Acts, Paul affirms that God himself gives life and breath to all things, and we are of one blood and one race, human. Acts 17, 26 and 27. And he's ma- he made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times, their appointed times, and the bounds of their habitation. God even determined where people would live. That they should seek the Lord if they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. That's Acts seventeen twenty six and 27. So now it's trans, uh, she goes into from that, from the evil, you know, um, you know, racist, you know, Bible believers. He, now she goes to the, the Texas shooting, the tragedy a few weeks ago. Whoopi also said she's sick of this. She said she's sick of kids being shot. 19 children died, um, at the shooting they're referencing in Uvalde and, and, very few mention the fact, you ready friends? Let's, let's talk facts. Let's reason here. Every weekend in some major cities across America, hundreds are shot and dozens of human beings die every weekend in places, ready, that have some of the strictest gun laws on the books. What I just spoke was truth, was fact, factual. You will not hear that perspective in most media outlets, from most media. Let's give you an example. In Chicago, three weeks ago, this is just one that I, because it's in the article, I put it in there. 51 people were shot in one weekend, the most violent in five years. Does this make national news? No. Why not? It doesn't fit the narrative. What did Joy Behar say? Oh, you know, she had to chime in, right? <laughs> well, before I quote Joy Behar, what happened a couple of years ago on the streets of our cities in America. Gun violence, police cars blowing up, buildings set on fire, people were killed. There were a couple dozen people killed, and some of them were a minority, black and Hispanic business owners, um, in inner cities in America when cities were taken over and lawlessness was given free reign in our country. And um, inner cities, there are gangs. Um, so listen to what Joy Behar said. Once black people get guns in this country, the gun laws will change. Trust me. (laughs) Don't you in a way, come on now, don't you in a way feel sorry for her? So they don't have access to guns now? They're not committing any crime in any anywhere in the country, in these inner cities? So this is complete ignorance of the truth, of course. But she and The View rarely allow the facts and the truth get in their way of entertaining and stirring up the base in their commentary. So back to this idea of Christian nationalism. Um, unjustified accusations and labels can be unfairly used to deceive and divide people, as well as target a certain group, and that's what they're doing to us. Marching orders have been issued. They often trigger emotional responses from social justice warriors, and that's what this younger generation has been groomed to be. You've heard about grooming for the LGBTQ? Well, all, there's also grooming to be social justice warriors. So... Um, since we have no idea how Christian nationalism is really defined, but they're accusing us of that, let's talk about what, what is nationalism. It's a sense of loyalty and commitment to one's country. It includes the belief that the country, in our case, America, ought to self-govern, pursue our national interests, and encourage shared cultural attributes. What does that mean? Appreciation for a, a person's culture, language, traditions, music, history, or achievements. That's a good thing, right? Nothing wrong with that. We're not idolizing a country or a flag. But the same holds true for efforts to sustain those legacies. So that's nationalism. That in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But they throw the word Christian in front of it. Now it's all of a sudden evil. Right? Anything to do with God, the Bible, the, quote, patriarchy. Right? Um, So how does that conflict with how we are to live? 
Believers are called to shine the light of Christ and be as salt, to preserve and flavor society. Critics of faith and freedom can't stand this, that we are instructed to be active and hopefully influential in our communities, in our society. They can't stand that. And now they use Christian nationalism in ways where whenever there's a connection between a person's faith and how they live out that faith, uh uh-oh, that means you're being public. I'm going public. I'm confessing my faith publicly. Jesus is Lord, and I live for him, and we will stand on the truth. And um, the Bible says, after all, after having done everything, stand. King James Version, John 3.20 says, For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, or hateth the light, everyone that does evil. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So they they avoid the light, everyone that does evil. Because of their deeds, they don't want that accountability. They don't want, they have a conscience, right? They don't want that. They avoid the light. They avoid us. And they don't even want us out in public. So the American left has a problem with those who hold a true biblical worldview and shine the light of Christ. One more example. I've just got two minutes left. We are not going to get to that article, but I'm going to tell you where it is over at news.gab.com. News.gab.com. I'll put this in the podcast notes. Um, the CEO of Gab wrote a phenomenal, he's a Christian, his name is Andrew Torba, Gab.com. He wrote a phenomenal article called Weapons for Spiritual War in a Post-Truth World. And we'll hopefully get to it um, Thursday or Friday. Weapons for Spiritual War in a Post-Truth World. So let's share this headline from Time Magazine. Ready? They say, it's time to stop giving Christianity a pass on white supremacy and violence. Now, there you go. Christian white supremacy. The View and the Left and the cable channels, the MSNBC and the Communist News Network, all of those are saying Christian nationalism. These guys are saying Christian white supremacy, right? So it's all working together to focus on a group and target a people or a worldview. Um, so, yeah, we're at the root of this violence we're experiencing as a nation, right? So the use of language, let me give you this historical quote real quick. The use of language to demonize opposition is communist policy. Accusations of Christian nationalism, hate, homophobia, intolerance, bigotry, racism, sexism, that's increasing, right? But let me give you this from 1943. Here's a part of the directive from the Communist Party headquarters to their followers in 1943. Listen to this. When certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. Guilt by association. That's from the Communist Party, 1943. Got to wrap it up, but that article I'll put in today's podcast notes. It's over at Harbinger's Daily. Tomorrow you will hear from apologist and great podcaster, Elisa Childers, Pastor Chris Quintana. Quintana. Thursday. Jay Seeger, Starting Point Project Friday. We've got our pastor coming in next week to talk about globalism. Todd Nettleton, Andy Woods next week. Bishop E.W. Jackson. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.